Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the program this week, we look back at one of the greatest moments in New Zealand's sporting history, the Cambridge University rowing eater back in the country ready to race on the Waikato River, the Olympic silver medalist Nick Willis returns to the track, and the Silver Ferns are feeling confident as their preparation for October's Commonwealth Games hits top gear. This week was the 50th anniversary of what has been described as New Zealand's sport's finest hour. On September the 2nd at the 1960 Rome Olympics, New Zealand won two gold medals on the track, with Peter Snell snatching the 800-metre title, and Murray Helberg held on to win the 5,000 metres just 45 minutes later. Roger Robinson, who has run for New Zealand, coached and also written about athletics in the country, was in the Olympic Stadium in Rome that day, and he spoke to Barry Guy about the occasion. I was an, an English student. I didn't move till New Zealand to move to New Zealand till about six years after that, which was the best thing I ever did, I might say. Um, but uh, so New Zealand didn't specially mean anything to me. I'd heard of Halberg because I knew he was going to be a factor in the 5,000, but it didn't have any special significance. Um, and I, I was already disappointed because my friend Bruce Teller, one of the English runners, had been eliminated from the 5,000 meters in the heats. And I was just soaking up the atmosphere, enjoying it all. It was, you know, the, it was hot day. The ice cream sellers are going around shouting gelati, gelati, Coca-Cola, and all of that. Um, there was some great sport. There was another black thing, that, by the way, that day, uh, right near. I, I was in the cheapest seats, down at the sort of near, just as they came off the last bend. And right near me, where I got a really good view, was the women's shot put. And there was a tall New Zealander called Valerie Sloper who later became Valerie Young, and she was just pushed out of third place by a black American woman. So that was kind of the setup. And then the 800 came where I was supporting George Kerr from uh, Jamaica because I thought he was a great runner, and he drove me crazy because he ran out in the something like the fourth lane. And it looked as if Mearns had got the whole thing sewn up. And then all of a sudden, this great early New Zealander came thundering through on the inside lane because the gap, op- gap opened, and... Suddenly this totally unheard of athlete in black who'd been lurking at the back of the field came shooting through like a steam train and, and grabbed it. And you saw Mearns just look absolutely desperate as, as he looked across and realized that somebody had stolen it from him just at the last minute. Incredible moment. So that was the first part, Barry. <laughs> you began to know what New Zealand was after those two. I suppose uh, the crowd was pretty excited anyway, um, but, uh, you know, were, were a few perhaps uh, stunned like yourself? Of oh, not, yes, not, we were not really amazed. That race, the crowd, I mean, the crowd, of course, was excited as they were for everything. The, the noisiest parts of the crowd were if, of course, if there was an Italian in the race. Uh, they were wonderful after Baruti won the 200 metres on a different day because they all set fire to newspapers and floated them up in the air. And the other really noisy part, which I was right in among because I was in the cheapest place in the stadium, were the young Germans. And if there was a German in the race, you got this huge chanting. 
and that happened in the 5,000. Now, Milnes, uh, where you were sitting, I suppose, did you actually know who had won Snell? Barely. Or, or the Belgian? Barely. I mean, you, you just thought you saw Snell go thundering through, but from where we were, I mean, I, I was sort of right, right back at the other end of the straight, so you couldn't tell at that point. Um, but you quickly soon realise, when I mean, Mearns looks so in such despair, that you realise that this this big young guy in black had won it. It was an incredible moment. And then I suppose, and then of course, it flashed up on the screen quite quickly, and you and and, and then and then you, I forget just exactly when the medal ceremony happened, but of course, in those days, we used to get God Save the Queen. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and then forty-five minutes later, I, did you think, well, perhaps this could be a big day for New Zealand? Well, I wasn't thinking specifically in those terms, but, but I mean, I was a distance runner. I was interested in distance running, and I knew that Halberg was going to be a real factor because uh, he'd, he'd run some great times. Um, I'm not sure if he was exactly the favourite. I mean, you, you, you're looking at some of, the, some of the French and others, but um, I mean, that was incredible for me. I, 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 let me just say, this is always, if ever anybody's asked me what is the greatest race you've ever seen, I've always said Halberg's 5,000, without any hesitation at all. And, that's, and I've been watching great races my whole life. And the reason for that, Barry, is that as a runner, I never had any finishing speed. So if I was going to win a race, I had to clear out early. And I learned to do that from Murray Halberg that day because there they all were kind of settling in, running in a big group, waiting for, I think the Frenchman was, was leading, but, but wait, waiting for uh, something to happen, waiting for the last lap for the bell, and then you'd expect it all to happen. And suddenly three laps out, this little skinny guy with a funny bent arm went shooting out into the lead and immediately you were just so full of admiration for his sheer courage it was amazing i mean those last three laps were, were i will never forget them um as i said i was among the germans chasing halberg was what was a big blonde german and so the whole crowd around me all i could hear was grodotsky grodotsky on and on building up into this great huge great crescendo and so I was kind of squeaking Halberg <laughs> because I just thought so well of him for, for having the guts to go out that early and hang on. And it got more and more exciting because he, was, he kept looking over his shoulder. After one lap, he began to get worried, and, and he really looked so fallible. You know, you could see a man who was right on the edge and uh, was desperately hoping that he wouldn't be caught, and he kept look, flinging these glances over his shoulder because every time he did that, the Germans went more crazy. The Germans always go crazy in unison, as you know, so they kept on chanting. And Halberg hung on and hung on, and Grodotsky seemed to be closing a little bit, but not much. And then going along the finishing straight, Barry, it, it was as if they were in slow motion, you know, as if they were standing still, really, because the only thing that mattered was the gap between them. And the gap wasn't closing. And they were getting near the tape, but all we were watching was that gap, because I desperately wanted, you know, this fallible-looking man who was skinny like me and, and had gone without any finishing speed to win rather than this sort of big blonde superhero behind him uh, and he did and he just he got through to the tape and just kind of flung himself through it he seemed of course at that point it was at the other end of the straight from me but he just grabbed the tape in his hands and just fell off the track and and, and lay on his back you know and, and as if he was totally out of it but it was an incredible courageous and skilled piece of tactical running they, they both uh, had, you know, of, of course, different tactics, but they both also said they were supremely sort of confident in the tactics that they were given by Lydiard, obviously. Yeah, well, of course, I didn't know that till afterwards and after I moved to New Zealand and, and Arthur especially became a good friend and, and 
I've known Peter, Peter Snell and, and, and Mary Helberg as well. Um, but um, Arthur was obviously a phenomenal force, and, and, and not only a wonderful, charismatic planner of long-term strategy, but a great tactician as well. To give Murray that tactic was just brilliant. I mean, he was, he was quick at the finish. He'd been a miler, but, um, but in that field, uh, he wouldn't have been that quick. He, he, he probably wouldn't have won it if he'd waited till the bell. So he sewed it up, and he had the courage and determination to hang on. The greatest day in New Zealand athletics, perhaps? Oh, I would say so. I wrote about it once in, in New Zealand Runner and called it New Zealand's fight favorite, sorry, New Zealand's uh, greatest hour, I think. Um, and it stayed with me, of course. And as soon as I moved to New Zealand, I realized the significance of it. But as we left the stadium that day, you know, you're going out, I was still around, still surrounded by all these Germans, and and you just heard the whole crowd going kind of Nuova Zelanda, and you could just hear this buzz about what New Zealand had done, because in a way nobody had heard of it before then. <laughs> in the running world we had, obviously, because you'd heard of um, Lovelock, but not on that scale. I mean, to take two gold medals in half an hour, as, as they did, was just totally unprecedented, and it was the kind of thing you, you sat there in the Olympic Stadium all day listening to the American and the Russian national anthem, and then all of a sudden, you know, these two, in the case of Snell, completely unknown guys had come out and, and burgled it. So it was a phenomenal day. And from the athletic point of view, I will certainly never forget it. And my only regret about the whole day, and I spent six years in Christchurch, was that um, Val Young didn't get her medal as well. Because she went so close. And nobody ever remembers that. But she was within, I don't know, an inch or something. And she got pushed out by, I think, this big black American called Mrs. Earlene Brown. The Waikato University Rowing 8 will go into Sunday afternoon's annual great race on the Waikato River as underdogs. In fact, their opponent, Cambridge University, has more experience of the race than the local lads, with at least two of their rowers having raced in Hamilton before. Earlier this week, both teams were officially welcomed onto the Waikato University Marae, and the senior Cambridge rower, Hardy Kubash, spoke to Andrew McRae about the race he describes as the great unknown. It's a, it's a hard one, because uh, what we view this race, you have a a handful of guys that have already been at Cambridge for a few years and are quite experienced rode in our blue boat which is the number one boat against Oxford and then you've got four or five guys who have never been to Cambridge this is their first year because our academic year starts in in four weeks time so this is a, like a pre-season trip to try and mix a few of the old hands with with the young guys so for the old guys that have done the boat race this is very similar um, it's match racing side by side which is compared to normal rowing, which is seven lanes. But like swimming or running, it's very individual. You just sort of control your lane. So it is, you've really got to judge yourself off the other crew. So normally in this sort of race, you might like to sort of almost like a time trial speed, sort of have a constant pace. Where here it's all about racing the other crew and trying to get that one length lead and, and cross over, which happens in the boat race. Whereas here, the unique thing is you have to cross the river quite a few times and with the strength of the stream I think every time you cross you lose almost about a length um, so you can watch tapes and it looks like one crew is well up but it's actually sort of disguised because depending on what corner comes up next so I think that's we've had a, late, a week training at Lake Karapira which is nice because it's very calm water new combination work on our skills and um, do a lot of drills just to sort of find a, a crew rhythm and now come down and, and jump on the Waikato and it'll almost be like out in surf boats for, for yeah. some of them. So it's quite a difficult race, isn't it? Oh, definitely. The stream plays a big part. And 
the coxing is very important. So having a, a cox that knows the water um, is is crucial. And we're, we're quite lucky as well. Every year, the organisers and locals are very friendly, and you get a, a few old hands to come out in the speedboat and take the the cox and coach around and and yeah, give them some advice on things. And it's a race you guys obviously take very seriously. Yeah, definitely. As Donald mentioned in the, the speeches, I think. Cambridge, like the boat club gets invited to maybe 25 of these sort of events through the year. Um, obviously, during term time, so end of September to middle of June, you can't do any of them as a student. So that's when a lot of the, the alumni come back and get these great trips off to Zambia and Africa and South America, and they're almost like holiday trips. Whereas this one for us is a great combination. It's, it's, we're about to start term, so this is one where you bring all the current students to. Um, and we take it seriously. You try and train a couple of times a day. But also you get to have a bit of a holiday here. For a lot of the guys, especially that have just finished high schools in the UK, they've never really been outside of Europe. So coming to sort of the far side of the world, they think it's a, the, the wild country here, Australia and New Zealand. All they hear are stories of shark attacks and fires and crocodile hunter and <laughs> crocodile Dundee and the Maori and... Um, so getting a traditional welcoming like this is is a great experience. And plus you have a few community fundraising events we do. There's a few great social events organised. So it's a great combination of activities for the 12 days leading up to the race. So feeling uh, pretty confident? It's hard to say because I, I do. I feel sorry for some of the, the Waikato guys because obviously they've got some of their top athletes that are with the New Zealand senior team. And knowing how well... New Zealand's going now. I mean, they're really dominating world rowing. Um, so to, to miss out having on a few of those key guys is is quite hard. Um, but I'm sure they still have a quite a lot of, of great guys in in their crew. And the same for us. We've got a we've got a combination of, of senior guys with with young people. You never really know till the the start line here. Obviously, they'll have a, some local knowledge. Um, Ross, the coach, is is very experienced. But, I mean, going into the race, you've always got to go in expecting to win and race like you're going to win. Um, but, I mean, it's a great unknown with this. One wrong move on the course tactically, crossing a river too early or too late. I mean, you can completely put yourself out of the race. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. The New Zealand middle distance runner Nick Willis returns to the track this weekend after an injury-plagued year, which has kept him away from most of the European season. The Olympic 1500 metre silver medalist is back in action after having 10 weeks off after a knee operation at the end of March. While Willis has missed the majority of the season, he says at least he'll be fresh heading to Delhi, while many of his competitors will be trying to hold their form after a long season. Ideally I'll have four races going into the Commonwealth Games, which um pretty similar to what I had going into the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne four years ago actually. I, I like to race at least three or four times, normally ideally about six times, but you don't want to normally be racing 10 to 12 times and then hanging on until October. That's a very, very late um, championship. So I don't know anyone who's ever raced in October before and run close, anywhere near their best. So um, I think this may turn out to be a blessing in disguise in terms of how I can um, perform in Delhi. Uh, ideally, I would have liked to have improve my world ranking and all of the likes of that but this just specifically for my odds in Delhi I think if anything it's probably enhanced them rather than um, taken away from them. Do you know anything about Delhi and the Nehru Stadium and the conditions and in a way does that matter at all 
about uh, your Commonwealth Games prospects, knowing anything about the um, venue? First and foremost, I just got to be focused on getting fit, fit as possible. Um, that other stuff is secondary, and because sort of time is um, time is of the essence for me, I don't have really a lot of room to to wiggle with. So I've just been focusing on getting fit, and I'll worry about that when I come to it. But I've been there and done that enough times now with. The World um, Championships were in Osaka, Japan, and then the Olympics were in, um, in Beijing. And in 04, they were in Athens when it was really hot as well. So I feel like I've had to deal with some of those more adverse conditions enough times now where I, I'm not too worried about it. And what about your opposition? I mean, what are you expecting? I think it's going to be pretty hot. There's, um, there's, a, there's a young kid from Australia named Ryan Gregson who... Um, who ran the Oceania record for the 1500 a few weeks ago in a fast race in Monaco. He ran 331.09 seconds, which is a whole second faster than what John Walker or I ever ran. Um, he's only 20 years old, so he's obviously um, he's obviously the one for the future and the current as well. So I'll have to, um, to really be on my own game to be able to compete with him and Whichever Kenyans end up showing up, it might be guys that are already established on the world circle, or it might be guys that have have yet to compete internationally. But they've got a whole stable of them just waiting for an opportunity to get a passport and a travel visa to get out of the country and try and make a name for themselves and earn some money. So um, I'm sure they'll be good. And there's a couple of good British runners and also a couple of good South Africans. So the depth is certainly stronger than it was for Melbourne four years ago. Um, but I'm also a bit more experienced, and with it being in October, as I say again, that's that's the X factor for the performance of the games. It's actually a little bit of a shame that the the team for New Zealand is so small, especially on the male side, because I always I kept on trying to tell people that we should make the qualifying as easy as possible, because there's a great opportunity here to pick up some um, some major hardware when most of our competitors are going to be fried by that time of the year, whereas most Kiwis can't get into those Grand Prix races anyway, so they'll be focusing their training on an October championship. So I really feel there's going to be a lot of medals to um, to be taken by people who have um, prioritised their training, I guess, towards this, and um, there's going to be a lot of interesting performances by guys with big names who are just running on very tired legs, but doing it just to fulfil obligations to their federation. So, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting experience, and I'm looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to uh, being the targeted guy? Uh, I don't know if I will actually be anymore. I mean, I'm I'm happy to be. I think sometimes I run better when there's more pressure on me. It gives me that extra accountability. But I feel since, it's, since I, as you said, I haven't been running on the circuit and other guys have been surpassing the times that I have run in the, um, in the past... Um, I guess it's my turn to, to try and re-earn that um, respect that I was fortunate to gain in 2008. So that's sort of exciting for me. I'm, I'm looking forward to that challenge. And this is really a stepping stone for the next three years, next two and a half years up to London. And um, it's an important year to get me some confidence back and also to, to rebuild on the fitness. And you enjoy being a part of a team? Yeah, no, it's always fun to, to be around the Kiwis and... Um, I guess with Valerie and I, we've been on the same team since um, 2002 at the World Junior Championships, and there's always some familiar faces that we've we've been through this before, Stuart Farquhar, and um, yeah, and I think um, 
I think Chris Pallone was the, the middle distance coach in Melbourne when I won there. So this time he's not rep- coaching Paul Hamblin, but he's coaching a similar named person, a female runner, Nikki Hamlin without the B. So um, he's always good value to have as a, as a team coach. Not that they really coach you, but it's more that they're there to chat with you in the dining hall and stuff to keep things pretty chill. So I, I look forward to spending some time with him as well. It sounds like you're you're looking forward to it in a year that's been pretty quiet for you. Yeah, it's turned out to be a nice little um, thing to keep me motivated. Had it not been around, I probably would have just forewent this season because it's not really until now that I'm starting to feel like my old self, but the season's coming to a close in Europe in the next two and a half weeks, so I probably wouldn't have even bothered. I would have focused towards next year. So having the Games has made it worthwhile to try and salvage a bit of a season, um, which I think will only help me in for the following two years um, just to get if you don't if you go too long without racing you can sometimes lose a little bit of that X factor Does the Commonwealth Games still have the X factor you mentioned all of those athletes that are doing the Grand Prix meetings and also the likes of Usain Bolt who has more or less said that this is a down year for him and he's not going I mean does the Commonwealth Games still rank highly? I think it's different to different people to me it definitely holds um a very high priority. To me, it's all about championship racing, experiencing um, running the rounds, your heats, your semi, your final, and hopefully having that opportunity to hear your national anthem. It was amazing getting on the medal podium in Beijing, but nothing was like hearing the national anthem being the number one in, in Melbourne, and I'd love to cherish that moment again. I could win hundreds of thousands of dollars on the circuit. That would be fantastic, but it wouldn't... It wouldn't do anything compared to, to getting that opportunity to do a victory lap and doing that. That's what you'll remember for the rest of your career and your life. And um, I've been one of the fortunate few to have already experienced that and I'm just salivating at the mouth to try and retaste that same experience again. After being almost bankrupt a few years ago, New Zealand Football has announced a multi-million dollar agreement with ASB to help fund development of the game at all levels. The five-year partnership gives ASB naming rights to the National Championship, New Zealand's oldest sporting trophy, the Chatham Cup, the National Youth and Women's Youth Leagues and the Women's Knockout Cup. The bank is also the naming rights sponsor of the All Whites matches against Honduras and Paraguay next month. The NZF chairman, Frank Van Hattam, spoke to Murray Williams and explained what the deal means for New Zealand football. The whole of football plan is, a, is a, an attempt to actually coordinate all sorts of all parts of the game, right through from the cradle to right through to the, the international arena. But what a sponsorship like this does, it allows us certainty in planning, which has always been lacking in the past. So um, year in, year out, there's lots of good ideas. Um, there's never quite enough money to put the coaches on the ground, to put the programs in place, to keep the material alive and really actually um, follow it through and actually take the youth and train them right through. This here is a significant step to saying we've got a long-term plan to actually start training kids and get them better skills, right? For, and administrators and referees, obviously, from from junior level. You know, when you see them on the nippers at four or five years old, right through to um, you know maybe a senior international, Ryan Nelson or uh, Rosie White or someone like that. So, uh, you know, significant achievement. You mentioned the the failure, I guess, in the 1980s to build on the momentum that football had then. And, 
how do you see the, the way that's developing now with the, the successes in, in South Africa and on, ongoing programs? Is, is, is that behind us? Can you think you can build on it? Um, we can build on us. What we've got to do though is that you know we're going to have the, um, the moments of magic that I call them. Then you know we have the under seventeen women girls um, tournament that we had back over here. We had the under seventeens getting points in their World Cup, and now we had the All Whites doing their things. And so there'll always be these moments of magic. But in between time, we've got to keep the game interesting. So you can't be on that. Um, or mighty high all the time. But what we do have to do is when we are doing something like the International Series coming up in October, um, we maintain our credibility, we excite the public, and that will keep the momentum going for our youth. Because quite often it's, a, it is a, it's the youth being able to look up to someone or the kids being able to look up to something really good. And so as long as there's something happening, it doesn't have to happen every day, but as long as something happens that makes the game cool, then that's what will make a difference. And refereeing, you said the, the sponsorship covers yeah, refereeing from one end of the country referees to the is other. a big thing as well, the official officials are um, always underdone, but um, you know we got two re- uh, referees into the last World Cup, which was an, a sensational achievement. So there's something in this game for everybody, you know, you know young, old, um, women, um, you know, all, whatever. So and so that's why we're actually focusing on all parts of the game because your game has to grow and has to be a quality experience. And yes, you need good officials, you need good administrators, and actually you need some talent coming through. And it's a five-year deal. So mm-hmm. can you explain what it means in terms of dollars, or is that commercially sensitive? Um, it's commercially sensitive at the moment, but it's significant and uh, it's a multi-million dollar sponsorship so you can do your maths and uh, and uh, it's a significant uh, amount of uh, injection of funds into the game and all walks of the, of the game so as, as a, uh, you know, a number of uh, um, projects including a little bit for the National League but uh, you know the vast majority and for all our kids going forward. There's a momentum in the game. I mean I just keep going back and say back in 1982 there was one media organisation in New Zealand. Now you know there's hundreds and uh, and so there was a whole commercial um, opportunity now that wasn't back then. You know, just TV, just uh, you know, your magazines. It's just such a public game now, and it's a much bigger game than it was in '82. I think what people realise with this World Cup is this is truly a global game, and I think New Zealand got behind it because it was an exciting and big, and we felt part of it. And uh, you know, to be part of that family was that it, it inspired a lot of people, and uh, just what it's all about, really. That's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.